I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with a delightful Rhoda Dakar and we have a great chat. Rhoda is everything you want in a guest and more. We talk about... Well, we talk about her hanging out with like Susie Sue and Billy Idol uh, in 1977. Uh, she talks about some great records, obviously, uh, and just a wonderful journey. And it's going to be coming your way very soon. But with these podcast things, you know, they don't come for free. Well, they do. They are free for use, but then... I have to kind of make it work, so I have a sponsor. And that sponsor is Hotel Chocolat. You know them people that got them shops that do them amazing bars of chocolate and all sorts of chocolate? Well, it's them, uh, and they've been the sponsors of this podcast for the last couple of years, and it's looking very much like they're going to be the sponsors for next year, so huge love to Hotel Chocolat. But anyway, aside from all the chocolate that they sell, have you guys tried, I mean, the hot chocolate they do, and their Velvetizer, I mean, that's off the scale. If you like a hot chocolate, you ain't going to get any better than that. But they do booze, and their booze is something that I get very excited talking about. I like a little tipple, I'm not going to lie. Well, I mean, they do their cacao gins and their cacao vodkas, uh, that well, it's the salted caramel vodka is really nice, uh, but the gin's amazing. Their gin cocktails are amazing, but the creamy drinks are the ones. So if you like your creamy booze, then I can't recommend enough the range that they've got: salted caramel, espresso martini. It's like an orange chocolate, which is oh, off the scale, but the mint chocolate. If you like mint chocolate, you will not get a better minty chocolate booze than this. Um, and you can find out about all of that stuff uh, at Hotel Chocolat. And so, yeah, just huge thanks to the official sponsor of Off the Beaten Track, Hotel Chocolat. Thank you. Um, I also want to thank the team at Blue Murder uh, Club, which is an amazing podcast, a true crime podcast, um, where hosts uh, Carol and Lauren go in on uh, all sorts of... Uh, true crime cases and and some other bits and pieces it's got lots of comedy to it as well um go check it out because the team uh blue murder club produced this podcast so huge thanks to them for producing this podcast um also um thanks to scroobius pip because he's the pod father so big love to pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network and also um a few other thanks to you lot 
Thanks for supporting this podcast. We're over 460 episodes in now and showing no signs of slowing down. So huge love to you lot for continuing to listen, support and share and tell your pals about this podcast. It's uh, so much fun. Thank you so much. If this is your first time listening, let me tell you what you've missed already. Well, I'll tell you what, when you get to the end of today's uh, Listen With Rhoda, go check out the back catalogue. Because you can hear me talking to... Who can you hear me talking to? Oh, musicians. You can hear me talking to Madness. You can hear me talking to Fatboy Slim. Uh, you can hear me talking to The Vaccines. You can hear me talking to Heaven 17. Oh, gosh. The Foo Fighters. Motley Crue. Uh, the Killers. You name it, they've been on. Um, and if you like your, your actors... Oh, where to start? Joe Hartley, Maxine Peake, Thomas Turgus, Michael Smiley, oh, Helen Bean, like loads. All your favourite actors have been on here as well. Comedians, Gamble, A Caster, Jade Adams, uh, Maisie Adam, loads of them. They've all been on. What are you doing? When you finish this episode, I'll tell you what you're doing. You're going to go and have a look in the back catalogue and get rinsing. It's there. It's all for free. Um... If that's not enough, you can get access to all my radio shows, um, all sorts of playlists. You can watch all the episodes, and that's over on Patreon. Uh, so you go to Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash off the beaten track. And for a dollar a month, I know times are tough, but it's a dollar a month. That works out about 20p a week. Uh, and for that 20p a week, like I say, you get access to loads and loads of stuff. Even if you sign up for a month and just go and rinse the back catalogue over there, you get plenty of bang for your buck. But yeah, uh, essentially, you're supporting the podcast as well uh, and keeping it uh, keeping it in a place where I can keep doing two episodes a week for free and, uh, and giving you that 460 episodes of back catalogue for free. So uh, yeah. And if you want to find out about that, anything else to do with the podcast, where we are on social media, because we're on all the platforms, your one-stop shop is off the beat and trackpodcast.com. Right. Please enjoy today's episode of Off the Beat and Track Podcast with the delightful Rhoda Dakar. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stew Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Rhoda, how are you today? Yeah, I'm laughing because I know. technology. That's, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of how I start most of my days. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> We've been having a right old gnat, a lot of pair of pensioners talking about modern technology. <laughs> how we run a lot calculators when we were at school. <laughs> <laughs> yes oh but you know it did us good that's the thing that always makes me laugh is when people said yeah but you know it did us good look and it's like well it wasn't me that invented the internet mate <laughs> i can assure you <laughs> i can assure you oh wonderful me. well that that conversation before we, we we press record was based around the fact that we was both talking about the the, the impact of of zoom and how we can have these yeah, kind of yeah, conversations yeah. now so before we get on to your your song picks right can you tell me a little bit about that that kind of 18 month period of lockdown and how how you found that um both both personally and and creatively um trying to think think now well first i suppose the first thing was um it was the 
the horrible realisation that I had a year's work planned out and that was all out the window. Um, that was really sad because I'd kind of spent uh, the previous sort of six months working really hard. I'd been on tour all over the world with Selector. Um, I'd gone off to um, Australia. I you know, had some dates in Australia in the January, came back, did, had a, a DJ gig in Manchester. Um, and then in March, I went to see Elvis Costello at, um, at Hammersmith Apollo. I think that's what it's called this week. But anyway, yeah, Hammersmith Apollo. I bet it was Hammersmith Odeon to me, but anyway. Um, and that was the last gig I saw before lockdown. And I remember thinking, sitting there watching this, just thinking, I'm not sure. And Elvis didn't come out to, to you know, afterwards. He didn't come out to speak to anyone. And you just think, yeah, I don't blame him, you know, because he, you know, he was a cancer survivor. And you're kind of thinking... I'm really pleased in a way because I don't want to be giving him any disease. I, I mean, I'd I'd been on a plane, you know, I had to change planes in, um, in, where was it, Singapore and places like that. And so, like, I'd been in the area where there had been, where COVID, you know, sort of Southeast Asia, I'd, I'd been on a plane and, and walked around airports in Southeast Asia coming back from Australia. So I was concerned, you know, I because we didn't know what it was or how, you know, there was no test. So I was concerned that I was bringing something back to people anyway. But, I mean, yeah, it's just paran it was just paranoia. And, and because I'd been on tour so much, I suppose, to start with, it was really nice to just be at home and not have to be anywhere. Um, my kids, you know, I live with my kids, so that was, that was nice. It wasn't like we were on our own. We had... Um, people to speak to um, and the weird thing for me was how well we all got on yeah. <laughs> it's like you know it should have been hell but it wasn't it was brilliant yeah. you know it was brilliant we all just occupied our own spaces and sort of came together for meals and things like that and it was that was that was really good and um, and then I suppose early doors we had the Black Lives Matter thing and they all went off to they all said to me you know no, you're not going, you're staying in. And they went off to demonstrate and I just thought, okay, so I've done a good job. They've gone off, they're, you know, they're, they're off on a demo and I'm sitting at home like, you know, you've got to stay home, mum, you're at risk, we're not at risk, off we go. So, uh, I mean, so there was a lot of positives around family and um, the fact that they were growing up, you know, and sort of um my son sneaking out to work if he had a bit of work <laughs> things like you know just like it, it, i mean i can't say it was great it wasn't great i mean you know one of my aunties died and um and we could go to the funeral i'm trying to remember how it worked we could go to the funeral but we we couldn't i mean i don't know what period this was i can't remember exactly now we could go to the funeral but we had to stand in the car park and like have tea and coffee and cakes and whatever in the car park. But at least we got to be together. And it was like one of my, you know, it was like one of my aunties that I, that I was incredibly fond of. She didn't die of COVID, but it was just restricted. And then another auntie died during that time. 
Uh, that's Auntie Ruth and there's Auntie Gwen, and she died and literally couldn't, we weren't allowed to go, you know, because she had quite, she had a lot of kids. So um, I had to watch that on online and that was, you know, that was nothing of what it should be. It was really yeah. sad. That was really sad. So I can really, and I mean, she didn't die of COVID. They were both, you know, they were both elderly and it was their time sort of thing. So the regret was not being there to, you know, wish her sort of say goodbye, but it wasn't the, oh, no, she's been taken from us. That was very sad. But then in the January, um, somebody I'd known since about 1978, um, Tony Perfect, or also known as Tony Feedback, um, also known as Sharon Slut occasionally as well, um, he... Uh, he died of COVID because apparently he'd been working as an ambulance driver. Oh my god! During the during during you know, I mean, he was such a good soul, and he died. He died, in, and and that was, I think, that was the one he, in February. Uh, I think that was the one that really, really got to me because he was, I don't know, maybe six months younger than me or something, you know, and and he was a great, full of life, fit as a butcher's dog bloke. And that 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 really upset me. And not being able to go to his funeral was a that was really really sad for me. Yeah. You know, because that was a life that was cut short. So um, I absolutely appreciate what people went through. Um, you know, and the whole business about you know funerals in lockdown. I dread. It was it was dreadful. It was like you can't you don't recover from it in anything like the same way. You know, because funerals are healing. And, and the reason we all get together to send people off is because it makes us feel better. I, we are social animals. I, I think we're only now seeing the effects of that kind of thing now. I, I think we're starting mm. to realise how much that impacted on us, you know, not being able mm. to, 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 to grieve the way that we, you know, we're, 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 we're kind of, you know we're built to do exactly yeah and and i think that you know we're definitely seeing the effects of uh, i i can see it in my children that, that, that my eldest turned 18 during lockdown and, and my youngest mm -hmm. like missed all of her exams due to lockdown and and, and things like that and i'm now seeing i i, I, I run a, a a nightclub and and i'm seeing mm -hmm. young people and they're it's it's impacted on them. You can tell they've they've missed two years of really important times, informative yeah. years of, you know, sixteen to eighteen. Like you really learn a lot about yourself there. That's of you do. it's around that age that you find your tribe as well. And you know, you're out of school, you're into college, you're in, and you're meeting people, and you're not just mm. thrust into school with these people. You can then find your tribe, your identity, and like, yep. and I feel that. That that was robbed from a lot of young people, and and I think we're now seeing the impact that that's having. You know, in and yeah. you know, it doesn't help that the the, the country's a, a a shit storm at the moment. But let's not open that can of worms because no, uh, no, because like... we agree, we'll agree on that one. That is a waste. That's a waste of literally is just a waste of breath. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, 16 to 18, those were such, they're like great years. And I mean, I suppose I, I started going out quite young. So I found my tribe when I was about 
what 14 and it's a great it's a great phrase to find your tribe yeah it's absolutely what it is. it is and i find them i found them when i was about 14 i'll tell you um, what hold this hold this because we'll get on to this because oh, go I, on then. I reckon when we start talking <laughs> about school and formative years and clubbing yeah, yeah, yeah. i want to know about you finding your tribe okay. so, uh, so cool, we'll, we'll cool, get on cool. to that so um i'm gonna ask you now to kick off the playlist and tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please well for me it's poison flower by dr alimentado wonderful because and it's not just and it's not so much the speak the spoken intro although that's comedy um it's the bit and there are others with better spoken intros but it's just when the music kicks in it's just that bass line that's a, that is killer it's yeah. absolutely killer so absolutely. it's a wicked it's absolutely wicked so yeah that's got the best intro ever 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 this is this is the question that uh musicians that, that, that i speak to always struggle with all the others i go yeah it's not too bad but this is the one that they say oh this could change on any given day but for you th- this was like a no-brainer was there any other considerations or was you just straight in with this um well when you said intro i did for a moment think version girl by um well standy livingston basically isn't it? um i did think that for a moment but that but then i just thought it that's just the talking it's just the, the, the it's a, that's a bit wacky but musically this is the one i mean and it just it's just like the most powerful when that bass kicks in it's the most powerful yeah. start for me yeah that's easy peasy well i'm glad that this was easy peasy because for track two apparently that wasn't uh i've had a message oh, just yeah. saying i can't even go there and it's i, I always ask guess the first song that uh, you remember that you remember hearing that gave you an emotional response and and i like the fact that in in your answer to me um you you, you mentioned a multitude of emotions because most people yeah. instantly go to sadness but you mentioned joy and and stuff like that in yeah. your 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 response so why was this so difficult to choose because um i've been listening to music all my life so i couldn't possibly tell you the first song that i heard that made me jump around the room or that made me take notice or i have no clue because i was little you know what yeah. i mean i was a tiny thing and music was around me all my life so i don't know i mean it could be anything it could be like something that i heard when i used to do like dancing lessons when i was little was it one of those songs? I don't know. Was it a hymn? Because I went to religious schools. Was it a hymn that I heard? I don't. I've no clue what the first song was that 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 made you know that elicited an emotion. Because it could it could literally have been anything. Right, well, let's let's take you back. Where where was growing up? Um, I grew up um, mostly in Brixton. So I moved to Brixton when I was about just before my fourth birthday so i lived there so um yeah and i lived there i've you know lived there mostly i've if i if i had to say i mean what age am i now so i've got to say it's got to be like sort of 45 of my life 45 of my years i lived or 40 at least that i lived in brixton definitely and and so in in those kind of early years like but Brixton mm-hmm. for me, like you know, I'm 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 50 next year, and my my memories of Brixton. My first ever concert was in Brixton uh, that I went mm. to, uh, and and my memories of of going to Brixton when I was younger was just like 
so much different culture, but music was everywhere. Like yeah. so, so tell me about tell me about the sort of music that what was music on at home? Was there a stereo at home, and was it always on? Yeah. Well, um, I don't think it was a stereo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was some bizarre thing. It was a radiogram of sorts, and it was covered in. Um, yeah, it was. I think it had a walnut veneer or something like that. You know what I mean? It was like some. It was a wooden thing. Um, but yeah, there was there were loads of records at home, seventy eights, mm. um, and so yeah, music would was played at home. So I think I don't know whose records they were. Whether my my mum's or my dad's, I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah. But um, so there was all kinds of things there, and um, yeah, there was music played at home. Radio was always on, always on. Was you drawn to it? Um. I don't know because it was it was background. Not I don't remember. I don't remember particularly because music was one of those things everywhere. As soon as you stepped outside your front door, there were loads of record shops. Every, all the I lived quite near Brixton Market, so there was always music in Brixton Market of all different sorts. Um, I lived opposite the Ram Jam Club, so even like on summer nights, if you were ever outside, because you know. Back in the 60s, people didn't bother with um, noise complaints and to, or they, or in fact, um, uh, you know, any kind of calling systems. So they would just open the windows of the Ram Jam Club to call it down. So you could hear the music from coming out the club across the road. So there was always music, you know, there's music everywhere. It was kind of soundtrack to. It was the soundtrack to, to I suppose, just everyday life. Yeah. Well, let's stay in the, the formative years for track three, Rhoda, and I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Mm-hmm. New Rose by the Damned. And I mean, there's an intro the- right there. <laughs> what an intro. Yeah. Is she really going out with him? I know, oh, it's great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, that was... Uh, what that reminds me of is because it was the first punk single we could get, really. That's that's why it reminds me of school, uh, because it's um, because there was a good few of us who were punks, and this so obviously that's sixth form that reminds me of, and it reminds me of sixth form because in the sixth form we had, well, especially the upper six, we had a common room, and we were allowed we we kind of. Put some, got some money together, and we bought a record player for our common room. So we, it was the first punk single. Quite a few of us were punks, and we used to stay at school till like six o'clock till they kicked us out, which seems bizarre. But it's like you know, giving yourself a detention. <laughs> well, no, it was our common room. It was it was a room with like you know easy chairs and a a kettle and a fridge and you know and, and um. Uh, a cooker so if we, you could make food you could have tea coffee you could have i don't think people used to have beer in there because i think that would have been hugely frowned upon but we had a we had our own playground which was on the roof so terrace as it were so we used to just hang out in school till six o'clock most nights when they kicked us out because we because you know we didn't live near each other necessarily, so we could just hang out, play music, you know, eat, 
argue. It was brilliant. And that's what we did. Um, and I, I do have a picture of the last day at school and we, where we were all actually quite sad. It's like, oh, damn, now we've got, <laughs> we've got to do something now. But this was, the, you know, so, um, yeah, we used to, when New Rose came out, it was bought swiftly, rushed in, played, and we used to pogo around the, the sixth form common room. It was wicked. Had a great time. Tell me how, how exciting, because I, 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 I'm a little little bit too young. I've just missed missed that. Um, mm. But tell me about what 1978 was 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 like hearing hearing punk and hearing you know music like New, New Rose being a prime example. Like because before that, you know maybe there was stuff going on in in, in CBGBs etc. But you know, in, in the UK, stuff like that, we hadn't heard music like that before. Like, how exciting was that? And how anarchic was it? You know, did it feel like this was something totally DIY and something that that was young and exciting? Well, um, I have to take issue that we had heard music like that before. In the body, uh, um, it was the New York Dolls came to London in 1973. Mm. And so proto-punk is what I would call it, would yeah. be bands like MC5, um, Velvet Underground, New York Dolls. I'd seen the New York Dolls. I saw the New York Dolls in 1973 in, in Bieber. Um, How was that? It was, it was, well, you see, I was not surprised when punk came along because in 73 I saw New York Dolls. I was like, I mean, basically they'd been on the old Grey Whistle Test and I just thought, I have to have this. I have to have this music and um, got the album, went to see them. I remember just thinking, this is amazing because it was at a time um, visually it was glam. It was glam proto-punk. It wasn't kind of, you know, the whole punk look hadn't really come in, but it was uh, it was unreal. And I just remember thinking, this is genius. Yeah. This is absolute genius. The excitement was off the charts. It was wicked. It was totally genius. And so when we first started to hear punk, it didn't seem that surprising. Yeah. And um, to be honest, 78, I'd left school by 78. I left school in 77, so New Rose was 77. Um, but leading up to that, I I used to hang out um, in a club called Louise's in the West End with um, – so there was – Susie Sue, Steve Severin, um, Billy Idol, uh, The Pistols, um, Chrissy Hind, you know, like all those people used to go to this club. So um, there was a sense of like something is happening. And then suddenly they were all in bands. Well, The Pistols were already a band, but everyone else was just kind of getting it together. And, uh, yeah, suddenly they were all in bands. And then we stopped going to Louise's and started going to the Roxy, basically. Yeah. You know, but it was all the same people. So that was kind of weird. You know, I mean, we kind of just moved our party somewhere else. Um, but that was all my mates. Because I think what we'd all had in common, all of those people previously, was we were all massive Bowie fans. Yeah. I don't know about Chrissy Hind, but the rest of us were all massive Bowie fans. And that's... That was kind of the shared, um, that was the start of it. That was the shared, that was the shared interest that brought us all together. And then it kind of went out from there. And not everybody followed the same path musically, but it all started with Bowie. 
You mentioned that that kind of dread of, right, I've got to finish up at college now and I've got to go and join mm. the, 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 the real world. Like, just going back, at, 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 you know, to, to, to being at, at school and college, did you have any idea what you wanted to do? Yeah, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted, I, I really wanted to be an actress. <sighs> that simple. Did, did it feel, <laughs> did it feel like... Um, being from from Brixton, you know, and, and you'd see people on the TV uh, and things like that. Did it ever feel like stuff like that doesn't happen to to people like me? Um, no. Did it did no. it always feel attainable? Well, my, I used to see my dad on the TV, so no. Right. Okay. Because my dad, my dad had been an actor as well, and I'd seen my dad on the TV. So no, it didn't seem unattainable. It seemed perfectly reasonable to me which is why it was such a shock when I actually started to work in theatre and realised the reality hit me that, oh, <laughs> mm, yeah, that's not going to happen for me, you know. Oh, really? And, yeah. Yeah, because my first job um, out of school was in the, the wardrobe department at the Young Vic. So I, got, I, I had been in the Old Vic Youth Theatre, so I'd been doing Shakespeare on the Old Vic stage in the old Vic Youth Theatre, and um, the direct the costume uh, designer got me a job at the Young Vic. So I had a job, like straight out of school, I had a job working in uh, in a theatre, and it was working in that theatre that made me realise nobody who looked like me ever came through there. There was um, uh, at one point there was an actor who was parachuted in to play lead in a role. Um, but there was never, um, I don't remember what his name was, Derek. Mm, it's like mixed race actor, Derek. Anyway, but uh, he, he just played the lead in a, a one play and then he was gone. But, um, yeah, there was, no, there was no women of colour at all. There was this one Chinese guy, David Yip, who then went on to be the Chinese detective imaginatively titled um but yeah there was everybody was you know white they weren't all white and middle class like they perhaps would be now because that they were kind of of the time when actors could come from anything anywhere or any you know that was more but, where i was going with it well like how, how important was like uh, would it work against you to be working class not then it wouldn't have, wouldn't have done no because um you know anybody could act it was it was you know we were post 60s so we were in this time where ordinary voices were heard in the theater so it was fine to be working class um it just wasn't fine to be black because yeah. there you know there were no roles i i would have well no i would have worked i would have played nurses and prostitutes yeah. but i wouldn't have played i wouldn't have played lady capulet yeah. You know, which is what I had been doing before I went to work in the theatre. Yeah. As a, in the youth theatre, I was I was doing Shakespeare. I wouldn't have been doing Shakespeare. So I just thought, hmm, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I'm not going to get anywhere with this. Let's uh, try something else, which is what I did. Was you a confident young woman? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you yeah, think absolutely. that confidence come from? Um, it came from... I mean, some of it is just personality anyway, but it also came from, I suppose, 
the fact that uh, growing up, my dad valued my dad would my dad believed in argument in the sense of um, like I mean basically you know he was Jamaican culture lived in France for a long while you you get the sense of you argue if you don't like something you say so and if growing up if if something was wrong and I didn't say um I, I didn't argue you know like I didn't say if somebody said it how's your meal and you said you said oh that's fine and it was horrible my dad would say why did you say that you know what's wrong with you why would you just put up with that so that's how I was that's how I was brought up I was brought up to say my piece um, and despite the fact that I was a child, I was allowed an opinion. And that opinion, my dad would argue with me. We used to argue about politics. We used to argue about religion, you know, and I'd be like 12 or, or something, you know. So my opinion was valued right from the start. So therefore, I had, I had um, confidence in my opinion because it had been valued by an adult. And it had been valued by an adult who was important to me. And I also had uh, confidence in my opinion because I basically argued it. And as you argue, you you actually either reinforce your opinion or you or you. Um, sorry, that was my phone making noise. I turned the sound off. Uh, or you either reinforce your opinion or you alter it to take on new facts. So um, you know, I I I was entirely sure in what I thought, and also. You know, all power to my mates as well, my schoolmates particularly, because that was another thing that we did after we left school. We used to meet and um, just argue, like our politics particularly, because some of them had, like, uh, they were WRP members, and I was like, you're bonkers. And uh, we'd argue the toss. Literally one night, I remember, we argued entirely through the night. And it was like seven o'clock the next morning and the sun was out and we were still arguing. But arguing, not quarrelling, so not disliking each other, but just disagreeing with each other's opinions. So by the time I was like, you know, and by the time I was 20, I was completely sure of what I thought about everything because I had been tested by lots of different people. So... I was quite sure of my opinions. And what's really funny is I pretty much think now what I did then, the difference is now people actually believe me because I have gravitas and age and experience. But actually, I, I thought that back then. Yeah. But it's just that, you know, it wasn't taken seriously. So I do feel it behoves me now to wade in on every argument because, um, you know, younger voices just get drowned out people say oh you don't know what you know you don't know what you're saying you know you've got no experience it's like well yeah i remember that i remember people saying that still think the same thing now yeah. you know so tell me about the first record you remember buying well that was um my boy lollipop and it was because i really liked the tune and i probably used to sing it at home or something and my cousin Janice, and I don't know if she lived with us at the time because she did live with us for a while. Um, my cousin Janice uh, took me to, and I don't know if we bought it from Desmond's Hip City, but I, I quite like the idea that we did. 100%. Uh, 
Oh, what a great name for a great name for a record shop, Desmond's Hip City. And if you look it up, there are pictures of it online. You know what I mean? Desmond's Hip City is great. It was it was just a great name. Um, I like to think that that's where we bought it from, but I have no idea where we bought it from. Um, but she took me to buy it, so that was my first ever single. Lovely. And I've no idea what age I was, but my cousin Janice um, took me to buy it. It's a perfect pop single, isn't it? Oh, I know. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. But it was the fact that, um, you know, it was like, it was really, really good that my cousin took me out to buy a single, you know, um, it was a female, it was a, it was a female artist and all of those things were just, were just kind of reinforced by the fact that it was my cousin who bought, who, my female cousin who took me to buy this song um, and she'd actually seen, now I don't know if she saw her before or after that, but she actually saw her play. So Janice, my cousin Janice saw Millie play, but in Lagos. Wow. Because my cousin, my cousin's mum and dad, Auntie Ruth and Uncle Ken, they both, they, he worked for Unilever and they lived for most of the year in West Africa. So it was either, I think it started off, they lived in Accra and Ghana. And then they moved to Lagos, and they so she she was at um, uh, boarding school paid for by the company or whatever. So that's why she used to spend a lot of time with us. She used to come during holidays. She would come and live with us for a bit before going off to see her mum and dad. So you know, so basically she was like this white middle class girl, my cousin, um, and but had this whole other thing going on where she would go and see Millie live in Lagos and take me to record shop. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style to buy to buy records and she lives it she lives in uh, florida now but yeah yeah big props to to jan greenaway for that one i mean was it uh, I, I take it if you know if you was into to, to records and record shopping 
Growing up in Brixton is a good place to be, right? Well, it, it, well, yes and no. But, I mean, you have to remember I was like, you know, I was a little kid. But yeah. So I didn't go record shopping for a whole, for many, many years after that. Um, I have a lot of singles. I think I was also bought other, you know, they like Janice would buy me stuff or, um, but, uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't of an age where I could go buy record, go and buy records for quite a long time, not till the seventies, really. Yeah. So that was a whole other experience. But yeah, going into record shops back then was like, I mean, in, in the seventies, and I remember trying to go into some of those shops to some of the, like the old reggae shops to go and buy stuff, and they would just like look at me and just, you know, they just intimidate you out the door. So they weren't welcoming, you know. Yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't bother to go and buy my records in those shops because they didn't want me. Yeah. Why why was that like it, it, you know, it just generally any independent record shop growing up, you always had the the absolute elitist kind of snobbery guy behind the counter that would literally sneer at any question you asked and like I mean, that can't be good for business. I know that films like High Fidelity have made like light of it and things like that, but it it was a real thing. And it was like, as, as a young, you know, kid that was really excited about music, I remember being absolutely terrified to go in these shops and ask for something because I felt like I was being judged. You were being judged. Yeah. That's why I used to, I lived in Brixton where there were loads of record shops and I used to buy my records in Woolies. Yeah. That's, that's what it was like. So, because they didn't want me in their record shop, they made it perfectly clear. And I just thought to myself, well, if you're going to make such a big fuss about me going in, I'm not just, I'm just not going to spend my money with you. Yeah. I think there was one, another record shop, there was one record shop, I think, in the market that I could go to. Um, but mostly, no, not even Red Records. I went in there once and they just like, they looked down their noses at me and I just thought, you know what? Keep it, mate. Keep it. Yeah. And you and your mates can stand here and talk about music, and that's fine. But um, I can't be. I can't be bothered. You know, I'm not going to go somewhere to be looked down on. I'm not. I never. I was never fight my way into somewhere to be accepted. If you don't want to accept me, fine. Bugger you. You can like keep it to yourself. And it was across the board. It was like whether it was white white men, and it was always men, let's face it. It was white men or black men behind the counter, and neither of them wanted me in the room. Um, but that's a whole other story about being mixed race back in the 70s. It's not like it is now where it was normal. Back then it was like you had to choose, and I wasn't willing to, so yeah. nobody wanted me. <laughs> Shout out to Woolworths, eh? <laughs> And do you know what the last record I bought in that Woolies was in Brixton? It was 22 Dreams. Oh. Weller. Yeah, so that was the last record I bought in Woolies in Brixton. Oh, that's a, that's a good one to sign off with. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I was happy about that. <laughs> um, I'm interested in, you know, you, you said you was a confident young woman. And mm. you then... You know, you, you speak about initially wanting to be a, a, an actress and then obviously you, mm. moving into music. Both ridiculously competitive uh, uh, places to try and excel and, and have success, let alone the success that, 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 that you had. Um, 
tell me about how driven you are. I don't know how driven I am. I don't know. I don't know if I'm driven enough, really. Um, I, I think the thing is, because I'd seen my dad do both of those things, like my dad, um, he, uh, he came over from Jamaica in the 20s. I mean, essentially, my dad was from a post-Jamaican family, and he was a Trustafarian. And so, so came over to go to medical school and basically ran away with the circus. So he went away, he went off to live in Europe and became a jazz musician in the 20s and 30s. So, um, and lived on whatever money, you know, his family gave him and then sort of started to make a living. So I had seen someone, so I, I had seen my dad on telly acting. I knew that he also made records. So it never occurred to me that it wasn't possible. And then, see, I'd gone through punk and I'd seen all my mates get into bands. Uh, it never occurred to me that it was difficult because, well, you know, well, look, you know, look, Bill's doing it. He's changed his hair colour and look at him. Yeah, he's good. He's good. And I'd been singing and dancing on stage since I was nine. So I didn't think it never occurred to me that it was difficult or that it was something that I couldn't do or that would be difficult for me. So I was just like, that's normal. Isn't that what you do? You know, it was fine. But then when, you know, when when you get the record deal and you start, you know, touring and you start putting records mm. out, like, did you feel any pressure to, to like, then in, in regards to sort of, like, the drive to keep to keep this going the way it's going like how, how were those those times like when you know when you know you you was experiencing this for the first time it, I mean I presume it was very exciting but you know do you, did you max it did you sort of think right I'm going to enjoy this as much as I can this is a, a wonderful thing that's happening here and or but was you was your drive kicking in then thinking right I couldn't then can I take this to here like tell me about those times no I didn't see that was the thing because um, I only had a manager for a few months in 1980 and and I've never had one since. So I've never had a manager. So I never had anyone in my corner. I never had um, my own record deal till, um, till last year, really. Um, I had, you know, I'd like made out, made records and then licensed them to somebody, but but nobody had ever wanted to sign me to to actually make my own records till last year. So And was that Sunday best? Yeah. yeah. Big love to rob so the bank. Yeah, exactly. Well and and to Sarah Bolshe as well, yeah. who actually runs it day to day. I mean, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean I I mean it was Sarah that that signed me. Presumably Robbie has a say in it, but um Sarah that signed me. But um yeah, I never had a record deal. I never had a I never had a manager, I never had a publishing deal, I never had an agent, you know, so I never had any of the things that would sustain a career. So I kind of I I mean I left I left the business for a while and was kind of drawn back in. But yeah, I never I've never had I've never been one of those people that's had a kind of support system. And to be honest, when I was in the special OKA, it was quite clear that it, it 
I mean, yeah, I was in the band, but I the management wasn't working on my behalf. They were working on Jerry's behalf. The the deal was Jerry's deal. It wasn't my deal. It was, you know, so even in that situation, I I although I never behaved like a spare part, I was a spare part. I was, you know, just a featured artist. I wasn't considered part of the project, really when any decisions were made. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the first time I've ever really had a deal that's mine because of my talent or because of my abilities or because of my potential, which is, you know, it's quite sad, really. So, no, I never I never had a proper, I suppose, at the time when I should have had a proper career, I didn't because I was never, um, I was never valued by anybody. Okay, I'm going to ask you another uh, question now for another track. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you to tell me uh, for track five the song that soundtracked your years clubbing. Well, see, the thing is, I've done so much clubbing in different clubs. Yeah, um, and I, I chose this one tune um, because it was the time that I remember clubbing being the most joyous. Um, and because obviously I've been to loads of clubs over the years, uh, but there was there was a little period, and it was kind of I'm trying to remember. It must have been sort of the eighties, end of the eighties, maybe even to the beginning of the nineties. But there was a whole load of us that used to go out to this club called the Fez on a Friday night, and it was basically it was basically a former public toilet in Paddington and uh so it was it was underground um unbelievably hot but um it was in the days of rare groove like when that was a big that was a big thing so it was just before house um <coughs> so we all used to go down there on a Friday night and absolutely dance ourselves to death and and I really really remember the joy of that music and the joy of uh you know, of clubbing, and, and it was the, it was when uh, the DJs were like Patrick Forge and um, oh god, it would have been Norman J. Patrick Forge, and uh, well, just loads of others really. But you know, they, Patrick Forge was the one I loved, and the, and the tune is "All This Love That I'm Giving" by Gwen McRae, and. That's another one with a great, it's oh, got a great intro. intro. Amazing intro. It's <laughs> boom, exactly. straight in, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. Like, Woo, it's oh, so yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. And it was like arms are straight in the air, you know. So, that, and that was so, That's that, is, that really reminds me of that. So, like, you know, shout out to all my mates that I, that I club with, like Lucy, Rashpel, um, trying to think. So, it would have been Paul, uh, Paolo, you know, we were all there, and and the best dancer it was Becky, a girl called Becky, and it was you know those those were great times, and I think we went there one New Year's Eve. We even went there on New Year's Eve, and I think that was the first time I ever saw people off their faces on E. Yeah. Well, in fact, no, was it? I don't know. But it was first time. Yeah, first time I saw one particular person off their face. It's so funny. Oh God. <laughs> It was so funny, but I mean, yeah, it was great. It was it was great, and that's that's the tune that reminds me. Any time I hear that tune, 
I'm back in the fez. I, I think you can play that tune in any club now and it will still just get oh, that yeah, reaction. It's so good. And I'll tell you what, I actually went to a, a, a rare groove night and it was in one of the rooms at Bagley's, uh, mm. probably around 90. And I had never really sort of been in, in, in London clubbing previously. And I went into like the main room and I remember saying to my mate who was DJing like in the small room, I went, they're a friendly bunch in there. Like, I went, <laughs> I went, you know what? I remember my dad saying to me, be careful if you go clubbing up in London, could be a bit dangerous. And I remember going, do you know what? I had like about four different people gave me a cuddle. I went, lovely bunch of people. I completely blase and they were all completely off their tits. I had no idea. <laughs> Just for what lovely people. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Those days were hilarious. That was hilarious. But those those were the days when it 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 was basically E that was being you know it was it was before they started making it out of I don't know sort of flour and whatever. Mm. So um, people weren't really getting sick from it or whatever. But it was just it was funny. It Absolutely. was funny, and I do remember that, that one New Year's Eve, one particular person. Dear, oh dear. It's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. Right, right, I'm gonna take you home for track six. Tell me a favourite uh-huh. song from an artist from your home county. I mean you've got London, you're spoiled here. I know. Well, you know what? I I just thought, no, let me just limit it to Lambeth. Oh, okay. So I'll leave leave it to my own borough. Um, so that's why I went for Bowie, because okay. Bowie was born in Lambeth. So that I just thought, no, let's let's just pick a local lad. Um, and I know there's loads of like great reggae artists and whatever, but the one who had the most influence on me was Bowie, easily. And I was trying to decide on a favourite track yesterday, and it's like, I don't know, you do that. And I was listening, so I listened to quite a few, and I just thought, let's go for Suffragette City. And I, and I don't, and it was just my favourite at that point. Yeah. Um. And I guess the reason is because there's this whole, it's like there's guitar, there's layered guitars and you can hear that, but there's like this kind of keyboard, which is kind of like a electronic sound. And that was added into the, it, it kind of built the sound. And, and I suppose, because I was listening to, because one of my favourite albums is Low, and I was listening to some of those electronic things and I thought, yeah, but they're not they're not impactful in the way that Suffragette City is. Um, uh, so that's why I thought I'd pick that one. Let's go for Suffragette City. Oh, it's an absolute cracker. Do you know what? I, I, I listened to it um, yesterday and and I then ended up just going on a bit of a, a Bowie fest, uh, which is which is I recommend to everybody if you, you're scratching around, have a Bowie fest, it'll sort you right out. Yeah. But I then got in my car and uh, and just stuck the radio on and and I was listening to kind of like I, I guess sort of early early Bowie and <clears throat> all the kind of mm-hmm. the big records and the DJ mm-hmm. on whatever station it was played Modern Love and I just yeah. and, and I kind of forget that era obviously Let's Dance is huge yeah. but you forget that like he was still making these amazing records with Nile Rodgers and such and, and Modern yeah. Love come on I just thought and in that moment I just thought no this is definitely my favourite Bowie song. Like this, this exactly. right now, it's it's modern love, and like, and it was like, and I, I completely when I think, I just instantly go, oh, hero, suffragette city, you know, life on Mars, and it's like, oh god, no, like, however many 
what, 15, 20 years later, he's still making records like this, like perfect pop records. And like, I know. yeah, I know. amazing. But yeah, mine was Modern Love yesterday. I don't know what it is today. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, Little Wonder. Little amazing. Wonder, I, I know. I remember, I mean, I, I just, I was, that was like, that was astounding. It's like, because he kind of clipped into what was happening, you know, and, and, um, and I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, because like, I have to say, I mean, I, you know, I love house music, for instance. I don't know about it properly. And, and if my son could hear me, he would be rolling his eyes now um, because he's like um, uh, a house DJ producer. But, I mean, you know, not so much now, but early doors, I would be saying to him, he's saying, oh, yeah, you know, what about this? And I was going, yeah, yeah, but what about this? And I'd play him these tunes and, like, he'd be DJing out tunes that other people say, where's that from? And it's like, oh, my mum played, you know, my mum played with this. Like, yeah, because I used to, you know, when I heard House, I was like, whoa, I love this. <laughs> you know, and I'm still like that about music. I still love it, like, you know, so... For instance, I didn't go to last Glastonbury, but the one before lockdown I went to, I was like the old fart, j- jumping around to Boy Better Know and things like that. Love you it. Know. And because, and, and worse than that, I knew the songs. is because obviously I heard them in my house. I just hear, hear them in my house all the time. But like the grime artists at, at that Glastonbury, Glastonbury 2019, were incredible. Boy Better Know, you know, like, they would come on and go, oh, yeah. And another one would come, wow, Jay, you know. And, and they were just, it was like dropping the best and then there was another best and then there was another best, you know. And you're like, what? And then I'd go down and watch um, Archie Hamilton DJ, like, you know, and you'd be like, whoa, this is unreal. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's brilliant. I mean. And now, um, you know, like the sort of, I love to hear this Amapiano stuff. I mean, I love it. You know, it's wicked. It's all wicked. But you can't keep still. And that was the thing I suppose I learned from being a Bowie fan is like, it's not just about, you know, it's not just about rock and roll and guitars and whatever. There's this whole other thing. And and it, it behoves you to at least explore it, even if you don't, always bring it back to your own work you have to go and listen to it and 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 enjoy it and you know experience it and bring that joy back into what you're doing okay i'm going to ask you to uh introduce some joy uh to my listeners and for the last track this is a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear well, I I couldn't just, I mean, I had two. There was like one was like a tune of mine, which is called Love Notes from Your Soul Team. And the reason I decided on that is because the title, I mean, who doesn't love a bracket in the title? Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but more importantly, that's actually a book title. And, and I came across the book title and that made me write the song because um, and I can't remember if some weird religious sect had a book title called Love Notes from Your Soul Team. And I was just like, who, what are they? And I, I mean, I did start to read and I just thought, oh, no, you're bonkers. So <laughs> I didn't go any further down that road. So that was from me. But then there was the tune, which is what really what you're asking, is a tune called Yellow Leads by, um, uh, well, she's called 
Saunia, but she used to be called Shaba Saunia, and uh, it used to be Shaba Saunia and Sheb Kale, but that Shaba and Sheb just means young, and obviously that was from the 80s, so, you know, they've dropped the young from their titles, but Saunia and, Ka- and, and Khaled, and um, it's just unbelievable, like, you know, the it's hypnotic. It's like, I mean, I really love um, Arabic music because it's so hypnotic, and um, and I have this whole. I mean, there's this whole thing. Well, basically, I did an MA. I graduated last year, and my um, my um, dissertation was entitled "What Is Soul?" And essentially, my answer was: Soul is epigenetic transgenerational inheritance. Now, what that means is soul is that feeling that's passed down the generations, the trauma passed down the generations that you can hear in someone's voice. And it's not just in soul music. It's in, you know, it is in Rai music, for instance, um, which is Algerian pop from those days, like, you know, but like the bad boy Algerian pop, um, it is in uh, it's in reggae. It's in it's in hip hop. It's in grime. It's in um, it's in um, oh god, what's that like Andalusian music? You know, sort of like um, the Roma music that we hear, um, and the the story. I mean, you know, Jewish music, and like you hear the tragedy. In, in the voices of those people. And what made me realise that that was the case was, uh, and what kind of set me off on that path, was um, watching um, Mavis Staples. Um, I watched her sing. I was like, I was on, um, it was like a Hootenanny with, um, and Dave Wakelin invited me to come on and sing back vocals with him. And Mavis Staples was on it, and Mavis Staples was singing a song and her voice has kind of gone, really, you know. Uh, but the emotion that she, I don't know, I, I don't even know how it is, but she transmitted emotion through her vocal that I picked up on and I was stood across the studio from her crying and actually embarrassed for crying, trying to stop myself crying, but, like, I felt it. And so it's not even about... Um, how good someone's voice is. It's about them transmitting pain that comes down the generations through their voices. And I mean, you know, if you want to go into the science, yes, uh, the reason it actually is a thing is because trauma affects, um, it, it affects genetically the people who, who on whom it's afflicted. So therefore, genetically, it's passed down generations. They kind of, have proven it through, um, like, mice, for instance, who have never been... Say there was a, a type of or a, a type of uh, food or something that, um, that had been poisoned. So this one mouse had learnt that it was poison. The next generation, without ever seeing that food, knew that it was poison, so kept away from it. And so that, that the learning of the trauma actually passes through generations. So therefore, when I'm listening to Mavis Staples, I'm hearing about the trauma of slavery through her voice. She never experienced it. I never experienced it. 
but we both feel it and understand it. You know, and the same deal if you listen to flamenco. I don't speak Spanish, but I hear flamenco. I know what they, you know, I know, I feel what they're talking about. And so this Raya track, for instance, um, at the time, that music was outlawed in Algeria. So we talk about the 80s. It was outlawed. This track is from the 80s, but obviously they're still making music. It was outlawed in Algeria. And um, what there was an artist who was assassinated for um, for making that music. And, and they all had to move to France. Now, um, you know, France, you never think of it being um, that that kind of welcoming as a country, but musically it always has been. So it is the centre of world music. Um, but like, you know, so Khaled lives in, um, well, he lives in the south, I'm not sure where, but like, you know, down Marseille probably. Um, so um, essentially that music is, it's rebel music. And I think the album that it's on is called Rye Rebels. So when I listen to that, I've no idea what they're singing about. I don't speak Arabic, but I can feel it. And, and you can, you know, you can absolutely feel it. And, um, yeah, it's like you've you've got to hear it. You've really got to hear it. To, sorry, I'm just looking something up that I wanted to add into that um, label. But, yeah, you can feel the, the pain um, that, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, as I say, I still don't know what they're talking about, but... Um, yeah, it's st- it's still there, and and basically, I'm 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 trying to think. I did this. Oh God, what was his name? Um, yeah, I mean, there was like, for instance, Giles Peterson, right? Giles Peterson, obviously DJ from the back in from back in the day of the, of like um, of Rare Groove and whatever. But he, I remember. He, he's got like a radio show down at his HQ and I somebody asked me to come and DJ. And I so I played this track, Yellow Lead, and I, you know, he sort of waved me in and whatever and then played Yellow Lead and he was like, what is this track? He like came and went, what is this track? You know, and it's just because it's, in, because it's incredible. And as I say, I've never bothered to try and find out what they're talking about. But whatever it is, I feel it, you know. And... Um, that's, I always aim to try and get some of that in a vocal on record. If you're going to bother to do a recording, you have to have an element of that in the vocal. Otherwise, you know, why are you bothering, really? So, for instance, like, you know, just finished finish my album. It's going to be out next year. Um, and there were some vocals that we did like two or three times because they just didn't have. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That, whatever it was, yeah. in the vocal. So just had to redo it. Anyway, I feel like I'm renting. 
It's wonderful. Um, well, we make it really easy for listeners of the podcast to go and check that track and all the other tracks uh, and your mm-hmm. music as well because we put together a Spotify uh-huh. playlist to a, a, a oh, accompany the you. podcast so people can go and uh, check it all out. Um, talk of lockdown is is, is a you know it, it seems we've moved on from all of that now and yeah. normal service appears to have resumed and and we get into the tail end of of 2022 yeah. um what have you got coming up what's happening um well for the for the next couple of months nothing so i'm not doing anything in the next couple of months i am doing i will regularly do my radio show pork pie mashup which is on um totally wired radio so i do that monthly um is that yeah I is that eddie's thing yeah 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 that's ed's ed's um radio station so yeah um i'll do that uh and that's it really i've i haven't got any gigs nothing really in the in the diary till next next january um what am i doing i mean like i mean it's well see the thing is it's like i say that and yet this week i've had how many i think yesterday's was cancelled but i've had like three meetings on Tuesday, three meetings on Wednesday. I mean, you know, like loads and loads of meetings and stuff like that. So there's like stuff going on, but it's not going on now. Although um, I should say I am a patron of the Music Medium Trust and on the board of uh, music venue properties. And this week we've had Venues Day and um, (laughs) bizarrely on Wednesday, we had our parliamentary launch of music venue properties. It's been postponed twice before, once because Boris quit, once because the Queen died. And literally, it was booked in for Wednesday. Imagine if it had been booked in for Thursday. It would have been postponed again. I know. would have been postponed again. I just, I was like, oh, my God, the turmoil. But, um, yeah, so uh, the idea of music venue properties, which I should really talk about because it's brilliant, in, if you go to continental Europe and you play, say you play a gig in Germany, in in uh, Netherlands, in France, and I mean, those countries support the arts. They recognise that the arts are important and they support the arts. So they they invest in music venues. So music venues aren't people. They aren't basically supported by beer, which is what they are in this country. They they rely on their bar take to support venue, which is a shocker. It's a ridiculous idea. We need to be supporting music venues. When you think that, um, and I think it was, I mean, Mark from Music Venue Trust called out, uh, the, you know, the, the amounts of money that the heads of record labels pay themselves, and I'm not talking about small record labels, I'm talking about the biggies, they pay themselves massive amounts. They pay themselves massive bonuses. Imagine if instead of giving that money to themselves, they put it into um, music venue properties or if they bought venues and rented them back because who supplies them with their their new signings? It's all those tiny little grassroots venues all over the country. That's where everyone starts. It's where we all start. We all start in the back room of a pub. We don't start at Wembley, you know what I mean? We start in the back room of the pub. And if the back room of the pub, if that pub can't afford to put on those gigs, we, you know, the, the business is stuffed. So 
there is um, there's a way for ordinary people, like you know, proper punters like you and me, to invest in it. Where I think uh, there's a minimum amount. It's not a huge amount, but there's a minimum amount you put in, and um, you will get a return on that money. So you'll get interest on it, um, and then if sort of bigger if anybody from a record label or something is listening right now and they want to put a, a chunk in and i mean you must you run a grassroots music venue i don't know if you're a member of music venue trust nope. are you not well could i suggest that you have a look at it anyway 100 percent, 100 percent. because they have what there's what's called a rescue squad so if you have any problems they will help sort them out with you they do negotiations with landlords and whatever you know, basically, it's about trying to secure s- grassroots music venues. So there's places for people to play and places for people to learn their craft, and then um, sort of so move up the move up the food chain, as it were. Really, really important, absolutely vital. And um, so I'm a patron of Music Venue Trust. Um, which basically just involves me sort of going to venues day and sort of wandering around. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have to do any more than that really, apart from represent music venue properties. I'm on the board, so I have to go to meetings, whatever. And it's partly because my dad um, had a music venue in Piccadilly in the in the forties and fifties. So during the Second World War, my dad had a jazz club in Piccadilly in, in central London which is pretty unusual, I suppose, um, you know. But there is, you know, there is, there's a Pathé newsreel called London's Night World. I think it's number two, Numbers Night, Night World 2. And um, it was called the Caribbean Club, but you can find it online. You can have a look at it. And you will see my dad and see how much I look like him. So it's quite obvious, you know, that we're related. But... Um, so basically, you know, we need to try and secure the future of of um, music venues, and by buying them and renting them back at a reasonable rent, so that landlords don't aren't relying on beer to to pay their bills. Because you know, and and as you know, as a venue owner, you know that the price hike is in, in uh, energy costs is going to be massive. Oh, so There's going to be a lot of people that are not going to get through it. Exactly. But if they join Music Venues Trust, I think there are, we've got some deals, you know, we've got some good uh, energy deals for people. So we might be able to help you through that. Anybody who needs it, shout out to any grassroots music venue owners or operators. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, so that was that was one of the. That's what I've done today. I've sort of, you know, what done today, done this week. I've been chatting to chatting to people who work for MPs, and <laughs> it's quite funny. It's just really funny with them saying, "I think Suella Braverman resigned in between my first meeting and my second. So yeah. like, you know, so we had a different home sec. Well, the home secretary. Uh, we had a different home secretary for the first meeting and the second, but uh, you know, it's like this is basically what's happening. But yeah, oh, we probably had um, another one come and go during the recording of this. Like, oh, um, it's very likely, <laughs> very likely. But as I say, we have much more important things to to talk about than a music. For me, it's much more important than talking about the state of British politics because that 
I'm kind of tired of talking about that now. It's like, you know, fix it already. Stop being idiots. But anyway. Yeah. But basically, let's let's work on the outside of it and um, and make life worth living because if there had been no music, imagine during lockdown, what would we have done with ourselves? Because oh. there's only so much, there's only so much streaming, you know, there's only so much telly you can watch. I think I went through the whole of, of Grey's Anatomy and things like that, you know, um, from start to finish, never having watched it. I went through the whole of that. I mean, that's what we were doing. Box set, box set, box set, box set. Bit of news to see what we can do this week and next week. And I've got, I mean, speaking of which, I've actually got a booster tomorrow. And I've got another COVID booster because I'm, because I'm an old person. But um yeah, so music, we all would have gone mad if it wasn't for 100%, music. 100%. We would have gone mad. And and when there were kind of breaks in the solitude was when we went in the studio and recorded Every Day is Like Sunday because, for me, Every Day is Like Sunday, it was the, I mean, Pretender's version, I have to, if I'm honest, because I love Chrissy Hines' voice, because um, you'd look out the window in the morning and you just think, I wonder what day it is, because you couldn't tell by anything you know you couldn't tell by traffic you couldn't tell by the number of people who were on the street there was no way of telling it could have been a sunday or it could have been a friday and there was no way of telling and every day did literally seem like sunday you know because it all felt a bit kind of low-key and whatever and um so yes that's why we recorded that and then you know got offered a record deal so yay (laughs) and so there's a new album when um, as far as I know, it will be end of March, but it might be. I mean, I'm just looking to see if there's been an update since uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's due at the end of March, which may be, it may stretch. Yeah, I think it's end of March and we might be doing, you know, if we come and see record stores or something like that, that might that might stretch to April. But yeah, end, end, of, end of March is when, fingers crossed, because we had... You know, we did what get once to test pressing stage, and then um, permission was withdrawn for a sample, so we had to re-record some stuff, which was like, oh, really? I can't believe it! But so that kind of held held it up. But yeah, end of March, end of March. Version girl, version girl, the album. Excellent. Well, um, when that comes out, um, I'll give you a, a shout back and and jump back on, and we'll have a chat about the new record and uh, and, and find Thank out all much. about that. Well, I've had an absolute ball talking <laughs> with you today. It's been so lovely, mate. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, sir. You're very welcome. And can I just compliment you on your other hat, your other um, podcast series about mental health? That is like superb. Which is oh, where I. Was where I stepped in because I'm a I'm a governor of an NHS um, mental health trust, so um, you know it's kind of like that's my other hat. That was the other meeting I went to on the Tuesday or was it the Wednesday? I can't even remember now. But yeah, so Tuesday, um, yeah, so that's my other hat. So you know, well done for that. Oh, really thank good. Thank you for that. For those I've never really mentioned that on this podcast, but for anyone that's um, interested in that. Uh, it's a charity called Reach Out for Mental Health, and uh, and I I do a podcast for them as well, um, and and I chat to um, all, all sorts of people, people that have experienced 
um, and and had to live with with, with with mental health problems and and with dealing with suicide and and all sorts of things and uh, and if if um if you like your your, your ska music then uh, go and check out my 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 chat with um Ollie so, sorry Silky from uh, Def Guitar Pop because he's a one of my favourite human beings and uh, and he come and he, he spoke so so honestly and openly on the podcast and you can find out about that and everything else about the charity at reach at fmh.co.uk Rhoda thanks yeah, loads you mate. should you're very welcome and you should always give a shout out to that because that that particular interview was the eloquence and honesty were breathtaking it was very very good very very good he's, so yeah he's one of more the power people. to you mate uh, yeah but you know it also takes you to do it so more power to you mate well oh, done thanks Rhoda. i'm gonna press stop don't go anywhere all right there you go oh delightful and what's goodies and a right old natter once i press stop as well had a good old chat about mental health and um, and what we've been doing and, um, and what she's been doing. The stuff regarding supporting music venues. Love that. Big, big fan of that. Of course, I'm a fan of that. You know, go check out the Pink Toothbrush. Support the Pink Toothbrush. Come down. Come down and have a dance. I never talk about it. Come down to the Pink Toothbrush on a Friday night. Come and have a dance. Have a cheap drink and, uh, and come and say hello. I'll be there. We'll have a little natter. Talk about some records. I'll play some records for you if you want. Um, come down. Support the venue. Um, like I said at the beginning, go check out the back catalogue. There's hundreds and hundreds of episodes, all for free, of all your favourite musicians, actors, DJs, producers, comedians. Go have a good rummage in that archive. Uh, tell your pals about the podcast. You can give us a like, love, share, a retweet on the socials. And, uh, and if you want to know more about the Patreon uh, or any of these things, head over to the website, offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. In the meantime, um, just be uh, nice to each other, and I'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.